From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. Malcolm X was born Malcolm Little in 1925. He was an African-American Muslim minister and human rights activist and a prominent figure during the civil rights movement. As a spokesman for the Nation of Islam until 1964, he was a vocal advocate for black empowerment. Malcolm was not an advocate of nonviolence, especially when blacks were being physically abused and beaten and killed by racists. He also felt it would be best for the racists to remain segregated. But after a pilgrimage to Mecca, he renounced those views and broke ties with the Nation of Islam. Malcolm X was assassinated in 1965 as he was preparing to give a speech in a Manhattan ballroom. Two of the men convicted in the killing later cut all ties with the Nation of Islam. We have two interviews with Malcolm X, both before the pilgrimage to Mecca, on WMCA's Barry Gray Show in 1960, and on WNYC with Eleanor Fisher in 1961. Due to popular demand, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing is expanding their line of celebrated quality t-shirts. Check out the new horse and trauma tees for men, the rebellion and vampire tees for women, and the rose and rebellion crop tees for kids. Plus your old favorites are still there like the Panoramic Tiger and the Panoramic Virtual Reality and UFO. Remember, Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions at plclothing.store. There are forces that don't want you to vote, especially if you're young, old, or a minority. They're putting up obstacles to keep you from the ballot box. Know your rights and register to vote. You can do it quickly and easily online at plclothing.store. Take a stand and let your voice be heard. Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing, where a vision moves in all directions. Let's, uh, let's meet our first guest. Mr. Malcolm X, the leader of the so-called black supremacy movement, the Muslims. And that's spelled M-U-S-L-I-M-S. Yes, sir. And Mr. I understand that all of the members of the Muslims have the last name of X. That's correct. And why is that? Well, the X actually uh, identifies or distinguish with, distinguishes those of us who are followers of Mr. Elijah Muhammad from those who are not. I see. And it uh, also exits us from the usage and the identification and the connection with the uh, slave names that were given to our people during slavery time by the slave master. I see. And it's, it will stand until, uh, as you know, Mr. Muhammad, our leader and teacher, he received his name from God. And uh, those of us who follow him will receive our names. There will come a time when we will receive our names, just like the Bible says in the last days that God will give uh, the lost sheep or the lost people uh, names out of his own mouth. And we feel that we're living at a day and in a time when those biblical prophecies will reach their fulfillment here in America. Mr. X, I have no, uh, I have no argument with your wanting to call yourself X or Y or Z or anything, and I respect your motives, but Shakespeare said, what's in a name? What difference does it make? Sir, uh, when you say what's in a name, black people here in America who have gone into Mississippi using the name Smith and Jones and Murphy 
have encountered serious barriers which immediately were eliminated when they use names such as Sharif, Hassan, Biya, and things of oh, that sort. So when Shakespeare said, uh, what's in a name, he probably had never lived in America with a dark skin. They took Arabic names to make the people think they were of Arabic extraction. A good uh, example of that last year was mentioned in Jet, where this uh, so-called Negro from Florida uh, spoke with a French accent in Mississippi and uh, gave himself another name, a foreign name, and was accepted into the veteran hospitals, white veteran hospitals. They took him for an African. Right. Uh, so there's much in a name. And uh, I understand. Yeah. Now, Mr. X, I said in introducing you earlier that your group has been charged with being anti-white, anti-Semitic, and a kind of black Ku Klux Klan. Now, you've heard that charge before. Yes, sir. And what is your answer to it? It's... Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, first, when you introduce me as the leader of the black supremacist movement here in Harlem or here in New York, that in itself, too, is incorrect. I'm uh, Mr. Elijah Muhammad's minister to the uh, New York Muslim area, and uh, he is the spiritual leader and teacher of all of the Muslims. And in fact, he's the spiritual leader and teacher of the fastest-growing group of Muslims in the Western Hemisphere. And here in the New York area, I represent him. I'm his minister. Where does the word Muslim come from? The word Muslim is an Arabic word, which means uh, it comes from the word Islam. Islam is the name of the religion that means yes. complete submission to the will of the divine supreme being. And uh, Muslim means one who has submitted himself to the will of the divine supreme being. Now, what's the difference between a Muslim and a Muslim? Uh, Muslim is only the anglicized pronunciation and spelling of the Arabic word Muslim. I see. Then uh, it is the same thing. The same thing. It's like if you were in Georgia, you say, you'd say horse, and in New York, you say horse. I understand. Same thing. Now, where do the charges come from that you are anti-white? I think that comes from people who uh, lack the proper understanding and have and who have uh, failed to do research. I think that some people who are bigoted and narrow-minded create the phrase, and others just follow suit by parroting without actually looking into what Mr. Muhammad is teaching and what he is doing. Uh, if you recall, and I think this is the best answer, when uh, T Time magazine uh, wrote an article in July or August of '59. Uh, in which they uh, uh, said that Mr. Muhammad had successfully eliminated from among his followers the use of alcohol, the use of dope, the use of, uh, of uh, profanity, uh, adultery, and things of that sort. But then at the same time, they turned around and accused him of teaching black supremacy. Now, mind you, they, they, they credited him, without realizing it, with reforming the morals of the so-called Negroes. And then in the next breath, they accused him of black supremacy. In the same article, they pointed out that the police chiefs in uh, Los Angeles and across the country marveled at the degree of, uh, of uh, discipline and obedience and respect for the law right. that existed among his followers. And at the same time, they said that this is what worries the police department, why that's absurd. And uh, I think that uh, his teaching, Mr. Muhammad's teaching, gives such dignity, it puts such a, a sincere and strong dignity in those uh, black people who listen to his teaching and accept his teaching that uh, they give they have uh, they have had that inferiority 
uh, complex and attitude for so long that when they change, it's so noticeable that people who don't understand, they, they associate it with an air of supremacy. But I think that's other than true. Malcolm X, the Chicago American, on February 22nd, said that your leader, Elijah Muhammad, wants to unite the darker races in exterminating the white race. I think, sir, that uh, the same, and this is uh, the same writer who wrote that, didn't even take the time during the convention. We had a convention three days at that time. That writer didn't take the time uh, to come to the convention and listen for himself what Mr. Muhammad uh, uh, is teaching or what he stated his aims were. I think had he done so, that he would have written that article other than the way he did. Do you or your organization receive funds from the United Arab Republic? Uh, that's another thing that's, that could not be farther from the truth. We, we receive funds from no one, no outside government other than right here. We receive funds from ourselves. All of the finance, all of our projects are financed by so-called Negroes here in America who you, believe in Mr. Muhammad's program. You keep saying so-called Negro, Mr. X. What do you mean by that? Yes, sir. I'm glad you asked me that, too, because uh, when, I'm, when you ask a person his nationality and he says German, it, is, it identifies him with a nation called German, Germany. Right, right. If you ask him his nationality and he says French, it identifies him with a nation called France. If he says right. English, it identifies him with a nation called England. Right. Now, if you ask him his nationality and he says Negro, what has it identified him with? Only the color of his skin. But, no, uh, Negro is a Spanish word, not an English word. And the, the, here in the, present, in, the, in the school curriculum in this country, they have taught us uh, that black is something derogatory, so most Negroes take offense when referred to as black. But except, the same, in, except in Africa. But understand. But at the same time, they say that the word Negro means black in Spanish. Uh, and they say that if, if Negro means black in Spanish, then all of the black Spanish-speaking people in South and Central America would also be called Negroes. And if you call a Puerto Rican or a Cuban or a Mexican or somebody who is black a Negro, he takes offense. A Spanish-speaking black person will not accept the term Negro. Well, I, I agree with you, Mr. X. The fact is that many people who make the same mistake about Negroes will speak of nationality and say that so-and-so is a Jew. That's a faith, not a nationality. Negro is not a faith. No, Negro is the color of a skin. A man, when you say that you resent or Negroes resent the word black, I've had Tom and Boya here on a couple of occasions, and he tells me that in Africa, the word black is applied by them to themselves. Yes. There are the blacks or the Africans. But not Negro. No. Negro ne carries with it a stigma. Well, only because of the unfortunate propaganda through the years. But this doesn't mean that it should. Sir, Negro is a word that was made up for us, not by uh, we ourselves, but by our slave master during slavery time. Now, uh, people of India, you have people in India who are darker than people in Africa. Yes. They're not called Negroes. You just can't, uh, you can't, if you, when you trace it down or try and use... Uh, well, what would you call yourself? A black man. My, I refer to myself as a black man, despite complexion. Uh, uh, I, I should tell the radio audience that you're very fair. Very uh, light. Yes. And, uh, uh, but, see, it's just like... Wouldn't colored be a more applicable word? No, sir. Uh, colored to us means that which has been changed from what it originally was. Mm. Uh, those of us today who, are, who have been taught by Mr. Muhammad, we accept the term black. We refer to ourselves as black despite complexion, and this gives us unity. 
as long as you have a group of people like the Negroes, different complexions, and uh, 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 they lay stress upon their complexion, that creates a division. And what we need, since we have been, since one of our characteristic uh, uh, qualities is our disunity, uh, we as so-called Negroes in America don't need any terms that tend to lend to that disunity. We need to be united instead of disunited. Malcolm X, uh, why is it that Roy Wilkins of the NAACP and Thurgood Marshall, their counsel, are so opposed to your movement? Are they not hard-working individuals for equality and desegregation? Sir, I don't think that uh, Mr. Wilkins and Mr. Marshall are actually opposed to Mr. Muhammad's movement because Mr. Muhammad's movement is actually doing what they are advocating, the betterment of our people. Uh, Mr. Many people have put words in Mr. Wilkins' mouth and have put words in Mr. Marshall's mouth, but I don't think that men of that standing and of that caliber and with that intelligence would cast opinions about a group such as ours right. without coming to us or coming among us and studying us Mr. firsthand themselves. Mr. X, I must tell you that Thurgood Marshall has been here on a many occasions and he has stated to me that he is opposed to your group. Now, he's a learned and informed man and he's told me this is not, a, not something that I've heard. I think you'll find, sir, that many Negroes who reach... I wish you'd stop calling me sir. I was just a corporal. Well, uh, sir, uh, we, one of the things Mr. Muhammad teaches us is to respect everyone. And I uh, do it not... You call I, me Barry. I think that's enough respect. Well, yes, sir. I'll call you uh, Barry. Much better than, hey, you. I've been called that. <laughs> but what you will find that one of the things characteristic, too, about Mr. Muhammad's followers is courtesy is a part of our religion. And I respect it. And uh, it's, hard, it's difficult for us to separate ourselves from our religious teaching. May I say, as a former G.I., that there are ways of saying sir and other ways of saying sir, and sometimes it doesn't sound very respectful. Oh, well, I understand. Let me pause here and tell you that I'm talking with Mr. Malcolm X, the leader of the movement of the Muslims, or Muslims. Let me return to my guest. My guest is Malcolm X, the leader, or associate leader, I guess you'd call it, of the movement called the Muslims. Mr. X, you've, uh, you've denied here that your group is anti-white, anti-Semitic, and in some cases anti-Negro. Uh, a colleague of mine and an old friend, Mike Wallace, last summer showed some films of your local rally. And he charged then that you have a stormtrooper-type operation and that your leader, Elijah Muhammad, has a bodyguard of the elite troop character. Is that so? I wouldn't say that we have a storm. <coughs> Before you go to that, sir, you asked me about Thurgood Marshall and uh, Wilkins. I would like to yes. make a comment. Go ahead. Uh, uh, number one, it hurts me to, if they said what they did, which I've never heard it, but it hurts me whenever any uh, so-called Negroes like that speak out against uh, us because we think that uh, black people have enough enemies today uh, fighting uh, to make the mistake of fighting each other, fighting among themselves and fighting each other. And I'm very reluctant to make any statement against any so-called Negro today who even professes to be fighting the battle for justice for the so-called Negroes. If they want to attack us, they're free to do so. But we find that we have our hands full enough fighting for justice for the so-called Negro to, to, to spend time fighting Mr. Uh, 
uh, Marshall and Mr. Wilkins. Oh, I understand that, but on the other hand, in a democratic society, Mr. X, no one expects all Negroes or all anything to agree. But you got a new Negro on the scene today, sir, who's fast rising, who's rising up faster than I think even Mr. Wilkins and Mr. Marshall who's are that? aware of. Who's that? And uh, I said a new Negro. When I say a new Negro, a new collective Negro. Yes. Whereas in the past, Negroes were reluctant to stick together on certain issues, and they were reluctant to uh, exhibit uh, action other than passive. Today, they'll try it passive. If passive will work, and if passive doesn't work, they'll they resort to what will work. What 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 do you mean by what will work? Uh, Does that mean violence? No, sir. Uh, because I would not want you to think that the uh, followers of Mr. Muhammad are people of violence. But when you stop to think, sir. Uh, who does Mr. Wilkins speak for? Who does Mr. Thurgood Marshall speak for? If, if Roy Wilkins and Thurgood Marshall combined com, uh, advertised the fact that they were going to give a lecture or a speech Saturday afternoon on 125th Street and, uh, and 7th Avenue in Harlem, they probably would be lucky to get a thousand people. If you advertise the fact that Mr. Muhammad was going to speak at that same place, you couldn't get within four blocks of the place. This is facts. Now, well, uh, Mr. Mr. X, to use your your very analogy. I'm sure that if Hitler was around, he'd draw a pretty big crowd, too. Uh, I'm surprised that a man of your intelligence and experience would uh, use uh, the name Hitler in the same breath. No, but you've told uh, me about the crowd. Sometimes, you know, the public is not always right. Well, then who speaks for who? This is the thing. If Roy Wilkins is the well, spokesman... I assume, I assume that Roy Wilkins and, and uh, Thurgood Marshall speak for all of the paid-up members or contributors of the NAACP. Now, I don't know what that number amounts to. Yes, sir. But people that contribute to an organization obviously believe in it, yes. and they represent these people. I don't think Roy Wilkins ever said that he speaks for all the Negroes of the United States, and I know Thurgood Marshall not only professionally but personally. And I'm sure that Thurgood Marshall doesn't believe that he speaks for all of the Negroes because there are some Negroes he has very little use for. And he wouldn't want to speak for them. Well, there are no Negroes that we don't have any use for. We love all of them. But you're putting them in the same category, if I may say, as the racists, uh, racists on the other side put the Negro. You're making all Negroes good Negroes and all whites bad whites. We think, sir, that the bad qualities and bad characteristics that you might detect uh, in the so-called Negroes today are uh, due to sociological conditions under which they uh, live, uh, for uh, the, which we feel they are not responsible for. The, uh, most of the faults that you find, faults of drunkenness, fa uh, faults of dope addiction and things of that sort, uh, we don't feel that the Negro in America is having undergone 310 years of slavery, during which time he was uh, stripped completely of his culture and anything that would give him dignity or uh, racial cohesiveness to the point where he would want to stand up only under extreme circumstances. We just don't hold him responsible for, for that. Uh, these who have had an opportunity... You're not going to excuse it. We're not excusing it in this day and time, but we don't hold him responsible. The, the, the you are then saying, if I understand you correctly, that all Negroes who are involved in uh, narcotics traffic, addiction, drunkenness, whatever. These people are to be excused? No, sir. But I am saying that I think that the white man 
who is familiar with the history of the Negro in America, when he sees the faults that the Negro displays today here in America, the white man himself should be very slow to criticize or condemn that Negro I, for, I, his, for his condition. Mr. X, I neither criticize nor condemn. I'm trying to, trying to get a story, except I'd hate to think that we're going to uh, present the, uh, the uh, satire of a poor, downtrodden individual who's just crooked because he never had a chance. Because some of our finest citizens in this community, Negro and white, have come out of those poor, downtrodden conditions. Principle and, uh, and the fiber of character are very strong things. They overcome a great many setbacks. And I'm not going to tell you that he, the Negroes have had an easy row to hoe. They've had a very tough row. But isn't it strange that out of that very background have come some of your most remarkable people? Yes, sir. And, and there are those few, <clears throat> we don't uh, clap our hands and say hooray over the few. We're thinking of the masses oh, I think there are who, many more who, than few. who are yet in that downtrodden condition. I sir. agree. But, Mr. X, we're getting far away from the subject. What about your the elite bodyguard and the stormtrooper-type operation that... Mike Wallace showed on film last year. I think that uh, Mike Wallace showed, I don't think he showed anything that you could call stormtrooper, but he probably uh, showed something that could be classified as elite in the sense that uh, the followers of Mr. Muhammad are uh, taught uh, discipline and courtesy and, and uh, uh, hygiene, physical hygiene, uh, mental hygiene, spiritual hygiene to the point where uh, they are very uh, easy to distinguish between others. Uh, Mr. X, you've just told me about the great mental hygiene of your leader. Is it true that he was in prison in the federal penitentiary for three years, beginning in 1943, for subversive activity? He was in prison for refusing to go to the army, for refusing to fight. He, he was a Muslim. He teaches the religion of peace. And he was sent to prison for refusing to go to the war. That was why he was sent to prison. I am given to understand that it's because he aligned himself with the Black Dragon Society of Japan. That's absurd. If he had aligned himself with the Black Dragon Society of, J of Japan, sir, well, br bring in your Federal Bureau of Investigation and ask them. Well, Mr. Mr. X, a man does not go to prison under our society if he can prove that he is a legitimate conscientious objector. We had many such during uh, the war. Sir, I think you'll find that prisons were filled with conscientious objectors. We have brothers right at this moment who are serving prison sentences for conscientious, well, uh, being conscientious objectors. Because possibly that their, their background did not show a legitimate reason. They became conscientious objectors for the purposes of the draft. I don't quite understand. Well, let me give you a very well-known example. There was a man named Lou Ayers, yes. who is a Quaker. And Mr. Ayers, known as a Quaker and a very religious man, would not bear arms. So he became a member of an ambulance unit. And he did not bear arms. He was a conscientious objector. The medical corps was filled with hundreds of men who would not bear arms but worked as laboratory technicians and the rest. But those who suddenly became conscientious objectors on the day that the draft called them were put in prison because there was no record of their ever having been a member of a religious group or sect that would uh, prove this point. Yes, well, I think you'll find, sir, that 
nearly a hundred of Mr. Muhammad's followers went to prison along with him for refusing uh, to go to the army. And by refusing to go to the army, they absolutely didn't even register. They had no part of the war whatsoever, but it wasn't in line with Japan or because of what Japan was doing. Let me quote to you from the Chicago American. It says here that in 1942, the Chicago Herald American, this newspaper's predecessor, exposed a fifth-column plot designed to unite the world's dark-skinned people under Japan and exterminate the white race. Elijah Muhammad, alias Elijah Poole, alias Elijah Mahmoud, was accused by the FBI of being one of the leaders in this fantastic plot. When the FBI tracked him to his mother's home in Chicago, they found him rolled up in a carpet under her feet. Sir, I think oh, you will find... Well, just, okay. This is the FBI. You said you wanted the FBI quote. Leaders of the sect were charged with violating the Federal Espionage Act. Conviction under that law carried a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison and a $10,000 fine for each offense. The FBI said the subversive groups numbering 100,000 persons throughout the United States had been organizing for more than 10 years under the Japanese Black Dragon Society. A four-month undercover investigation by the Herald American brought to light the activities of these groups, and these findings were turned over to federal authorities. When questioned by Assistant U.S. Attorneys William J. Connor, John Keeley, and Leroy Crine, all the leaders denied they were citizens of the United States, all asserted they were born in West Asia, that they were Asiatics and Muslims and not subject to American laws. Records, however, showed they were all born in this country, and Mohammed and one other were arranged on sedition charges and held in bond after the U.S. Commissioner said these men were leaders in this dangerous, subversive plot. It was at their behest that many of the others evaded the draft. They also advocated direct alliance with this nation's enemy, Japan. Sir, I completely uh, disagree, and uh, that I read that in the Chicago paper when I was out there last week. If Mr. Muhammad and his followers were arrested for that, were they convicted for that? Well, they went to jail for no, three years. That's no, good sign. sir, no. They went to jail for refusing to register for the draft, but they were not convicted of any kind of espion espionage. Mr. And, and sir, today they aren't on the uh, Attorney General's subversive list, and if they said they weren't citizens, the United States Senate right now is putting on a filibuster in Washington, D.C. to prove that the black man here is not a citizen. Yes, it, but I don't accept that, do you? Oh, uh, you are the, an individual, the, sir. The federal law of this country states that anyone naturally born in the United States is a citizen of this country, whether he be of the black race, the yellow race, or the white race. And as a matter of fact, the, the Japanese in California had the same difficulty for a very long time. But anyone born in this country, naturally born, is an automatic citizen, and it can never be denied. Do they deny these uh, Japanese and white people civil rights? You see, civil rights makes a man a citizen. You've you got an argument in Washington right now 
that revolves around civil rights, which yes. is supposed to make Negroes citizens. No, it did. They, it's sir, supposed to give them voting privileges. It does not have anything to do a with citizen their citizens. A citizen has voting privileges. I know. And we, if he doesn't have voting privileges, he's not a citizen. Well, he has voting privileges in the South if he pays his poll tax, and I'm against that. But understand, sir, and I think that you're intelligent enough to see that any time you have to uh, make new bills or pass new bills to make uh, uh, to give voting privileges or voting rights to approximately 20 million black people, then you just can't call those people citizens. Uh, well, let's go back to your leader. According to the Chicago newspaper, at a meeting September the 13th, 1942, this same Elijah Muhammad told his followers, and this is a direct quote, the red background of the flag of Islam represents the sun. The crescent and star represent the moon and the planets. The other flag you see there, the stars and stripes, is the symbol of the white devils. There is only one flag for us, and that is the flag of Islam. See how it compares with the Japanese flag of the rising sun. The reason for the likeness is that the Japanese are our brothers. They're the only ones who can give us justice, freedom, and equality. And at a meeting of one of the subversive groups, one of the leaders exhibited a movie showing the Japanese version of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and the followers cheered loudly. Speakers at some of the meetings uncovered by patriotic Negro organizations made statements as, Our prayers were answered with the bombings of Pearl Harbor. God bless Hitler. Tojo will save American Negroes from the white yoke. Great Japanese victories leave fewer victims for us. And on March 5, 1935, 200 members of the group rioted in the Chicago courtroom of Municipal Judge Edward S. Scheffler. Uh, sir, I'm surprised that you would take a newspaper, uh, which you could, pardon me, Go ahead. which you can get one printed in Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, and Chicago. There's no exception. This is a newspaper with millions of dollars of assets, Mr. X. The, the, you and have, if you wanted to sue them, it's very simple. No, you have papers in Mississippi that have million dollars worth of assets. The assets are of no consequence whatsoever. Oh, you have to, you but can sue Concerning the flag, the sun, moon, and star, the Shriners, which is one of the top orders of the Masonic, they use the crescent. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I have no uh, objection to your flag, uh, and particularly the flag of Islam. I do have objection to the speeches that this man has made, and incidentally, the stupidity of the statement that God bless Hitler, because I seem to recall Hitler and a man named Jesse Owen. Yes, I understand. The, if you will take that paper, which you've never seen until it was put in front of you, Oh, I saw it earlier today. And uh, I reached the conclusion that the man said it without doing some investigation for yourself. You're overlooking the fact that Mr. Muhammad has united and reformed and is reforming more Negroes than any other black man in America. You're well, overlooking the fact that uh, uh, he's creating love and brotherhood among his people that didn't exist before. You're overlooking the fact that he's making law-abiding citizens out of black people who had no regard or respect for law before. You're overlooking all of these positive qualities. Well, not only... And not pulling only. out something, sir, that was planted in a newspaper well, 20 years ago. No, no, this is from... This is the issue of February 22nd, 1960. What you're quoting, sir, was written 20 years ago. What you're quoting was written 20 years ago. It came out in the paper in Chicago last week to try and keep the make the Negroes in Chicago afraid any time you can find a black man. Mr. X, yes, sir. there's one so-called black man. I don't use the term, but there is a black man named Lestra Brownlee. 
Yes. And he writes a column. Yes. In which he says that your organization has great similarities with Hitlerism. He says both have made a strong appeal to the frustrated, pointing up injustices. Both use hatred to pit one group against another. Both spread the quasi-religious doctrine of racial superiority. Both attack Christianity and democracy as incompetent to solve problems. Both use the approach of a demagogue. Both demand fierce loyalty of followers. Both started inside the framework of the law. Both indoctrinated youth. Both built an elite guard. Both allied their causes which other, with other nations which had similar doctrines. In Mohammed's case, with the rising tide of nationalism in Africa today. Now, that's a Negro writer who uh, wrote that. You're right. He's a Negro writer, sir. And the thing that surprises me about what you're saying, you're overlooking the fact that <clears throat> Mr. Mohammed just finished a tour of the Muslim world, the Muslim countries of Africa and Asia, uh, at which time he was uh, warmly received at the holy city of Mecca and Medina in Arabia. And you cannot call a Muslim who enters uh, Mecca a pseudo-Muslim or a member of a quasi-religion. Uh, and also, sir, I think you'll find that uh, if you think that Mr. Muhammad is anti-white, you cannot, uh, no white person can come around any group of black people and get more respect than they will get when they come amongst the followers of Mr. Elijah Muhammad. I think one thing that the white man should know is this. There's a new Negro. There's a new thinking going on among Negroes. And it's the uh, misinformation that's being given to the white man by the leaders he himself has put up there to keep him informed that makes him not aware today of the, of the dissatisfaction and the degree of it and the intensity of it that's the, existing among the Negroes. And because Mr. Muhammad comes along and expresses it openly and frankly so that you will understand, instead of listening to what he's saying and taking that as a warning, you are making the mistake of condemning the man as a hate teacher. A warning of what, Mr. Uh, X? Sir, you reap what you sow. As you reap, well, as you sow, so shall you well, reap. Well, let me put it this way. There are 170 million people in the United States, and I venture to say that the overwhelming number of them are very much for civil rights, because the South is certainly a minority group of our total population. Would you say that all of the white people should reap as they sow? Sir, if the overwhelming number of white people in America are for civil rights, why do you have such a difficult time getting a civil rights bill passed? Because of our, the makeup of our political chamber. Sir, if the number in America of whites for civil rights was overwhelming, there is no combination of schemes that southern senators could concoct to get that bill from being passed. Well, you have President to... Eisenhower himself has just made a tour of Africa, Asia, and South America, and he has not said one word yet against the uh, atrocities that are being committed uh, against black people here in America. Well, you wouldn't expect the president to go abroad and make that kind of a speech, would he you? He hasn't made a speech such as that in Washington, sir. I wouldn't expect well, him to make I'm, it abroad. I happen to be a, of democratic persuasion, so please don't ask me to defend the president this week. Yes, sir. Uh, how about Hubert Humphrey? Hubert Humphrey is one man. 
Yes. If president, the Eisenhower is the president, he has he has influence enough to speak out on any kind of situation. Well, I agree with that. But what about Hubert Humphrey? What about the great and decent Humphrey, sir, about, is not the president? What about the great? Well, he may be president. Hubert Humphrey doesn't represent the United States of America as such. Eisenhower represents the thinking of the United States, well, the program, I the principles no, no of the United States. And if have, he doesn't speak out against these atrocities, then who will? Mr. X, let me ask you this. Aren't you building, in your way, a black supremacy group just like the Ku Klux Klan has built a white supremacy group? What's I, the difference? Sir, I think that as a white man, you yourself should uh, use or exercise caution in referring to any black group in America in the same breath with the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan was set up and designed to uphold white supremacy, rightly or wrongly, yet that's what their program is. Now then, uh, we uh, represent a group that has been oppressed by whites for 400 years. There is a white, the white man cannot deny that we were kidnapped and brought here. He can't deny that we were stripped of our culture, stripped of our language, stripped of our flag, stripped of our identity, and then robbed of 310 years of free labor. He can't deny that. Now, any group today that voices resentment and speaks it openly and frankly, the white man, since his hands are so blood-soaked, he should feel guilty. He shouldn't feel vindictive. He shouldn't say, why, this man is a hate monger. Instead, he should go and talk to that man and say, well, now, listen, we are guilty of this. What can we do to right things? What can we do to correct things? And especially in light of the fact that the senators will stand up on the, on the floor of the Senate and say some of the most outrageous things about the black man in America, and not one time on your program even, sir, would you accuse uh, 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 McClellan who received an award recently. Oh, you haven't, you haven't heard this broadcast. Regularly. I listen to you. I admire Senator your outspokenness. Senator McClellan has had a couple of lumps on this microphone, and so have all the southern senators. You'd be surprised how many white people agree with Mr. Muhammad, and right, and I mean intelligent white people That's who fair. are not what you call bigots, but who are open-minded, both Democrats, Republicans, and otherwise. Well, if and that's the case, then I suggest you, you form a political party and run candidates. And, and so I would like to say, if you allow me, that uh, uh, one of the things that has caused so much unrest and is going to cause worse unrest is this integration thing uh, that uh, they are trying to put across and which the masses of... Mr. X, I'm terribly sorry. We have to break for the midnight news on Radio WMCA. We'll be right back. And now my guest again, Malcolm X. And Mr. X, we've spent almost an hour talking, and I have other guests, so I would like to ask you to provide some uh, wind-up comment, if you will, about your movement. Yes, sir, I think, sir, and I really appreciate your uh, allowing me to say these things, because I think that if the white man had a better understanding of what Mr. Muhammad is actually teaching and doing, that there would be no disagreement between him and us. But, Mr. X, the, the federal government obviously knows what he's doing. I think, sir, that you will not find us on any government subversive list. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about his jail term. Uh, uh, you will find also, sir, that I don't think it's a disgrace for any man to have gone to prison for, uh, because he felt that fighting was other than religious. And I think also, sir, uh, you will find, 
And, and if you think that, uh, that Mr. Muhammad is not expressing the views of many, many, many masses of Negroes, I would advise those who listen to this to write in to you and let you know how they feel. Right. And I think that it would be a better representative. You probably would be more receptive to what your audience had to say than what I say. Mr. I X, uh, you tell me that you've listened to this broadcast a great many times. We had a lot of people in this country that thought Mc McCarthy was a, a kind of a... Uh, uh, an elevated political figure, and they wrote to me too. You know why I think that uh, most people misunderstand? They don't realize the religious, the actual uh, uh, essence of the our religious uh, interpretation. Uh, we, when, when we look at Mr. Muhammad, we look at, at him as Moses. We look at uh, the Bible. I can't recall the Bible saying anything about Moses having an elite troop of guards. I think you will find, sir, that Moses was a person who came to separate his people from the slave master. Moses didn't advocate integration. Moses advocated separation. Did they march? Uh, Moses, Moses was a man who appeared to slaves, and his mission was to separate those slaves from their slave master so God could destroy the slave master. And we feel that those Bible stories, sir, are only symbols that paint prophetic pictures of the day and time that we're living in right now. I cannot recall any word of Moses in the, in the Old uh, Testament professing anything of hatred. Uh, and, all I've, sir, and all I've read here, according to these newspaper reports, which if they are untrue, you have every right to sue for enormous sums of money. All I've read here are uh, speeches of hatred made by your leader. Sir, I think you can read the congressional record in the morning and find some speeches that are more hate-filled uh, being delivered by the senators from the floor of the United are, States Senate. We are not talking uh, about the senators. And while I'm on the subject of the Old Testament, I would remind you that it was Moses who fled from the Muslims his slave masters. No, sir, I think you'll find that uh, in those days, Moses... Uh, and first, number one, we don't even uh, look at the uh, thing as literal, but a symbolic story referring to today, that this is the story of the house of bondage represents America, the Hebrew children represent the so-called Negroes, Moses in that day represents Mr. Muhammad here in America today to us. And uh, we feel that that is a warning. Just as Moses' job was to warn the slave master that it was time for God oh. to, to bless his people, Mr. Muhammad's job here in America today is to warn the white man, not condemn him, but warn him. Warn him uh, of what? Warn him that as you saw, the word so shall you the word, the word warn has an ominous sound. You mean that for every Negro that's been lynched, a white person will be lynched? Uh, I think you'll find, sir, that the law of justice is, and God is a just God. If God visited the slave master in Egypt uh, for what, it, what he did to the slaves, and he visited the slave master in Babylon for what he did to the slaves, if you look at that and see how God worked in the past and you don't think it's going to work the same way today, then I think that it's, it's foolhardy. I am simply on the record against anyone who preaches hatred, sir, and I believe that your leader preaches hatred. I don't think you really feel I, that, sir. I do believe I, it. I really don't. I don't believe in black supremacy anymore. <laughs> than I believe in white supremacy. I don't believe in supremacy of anything except the Almighty. And uh, I, I get very nervous about people who stand around and try to build us up so we're ready to march. Sir, God is considered supreme because he was first and will be last. His people are also consider considered supreme because just as he was first and will be last, they 
were first and will be last. That which is first and last is supreme. I was neither first nor do I expect to be last. I thank you for coming. I here. thank you, uh, Mr. Gray. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm X of the so-called, it's been described as such, the black supremacy movement, the Muslims. Their leader, Elijah Muhammad. Malcolm X, the minister of the black Muslim community in New York and national representative of Elijah Muhammad, the spiritual leader of the black Muslim movement. Um, Mr. Malcolm, may I ask you to tell us something about the black Muslim movement in America? What is it? What does it stand for? Well, it's uh, number one, it, it primarily is a religious uh, movement here in America that's designed to reform the black man or the uh, so-called Negroes. Reform us, reform us morally, uh, and enable us to stand on our own two feet and do something for ourselves. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, our religious leader, teaches us the, the importance of doing something for ourselves now rather than trying to continue to force ourselves uh, into the white community or upon the white man. He teaches us that if we would do something for ourselves, clean up ourselves, uh, morally, intellectually, and otherwise, and then try and do something for ourselves economically, uh, we would be recognized and accepted by others. But as long as we try and force ourselves in upon others now without having done nothing to prove that we uh, are on any kind of equal basis with them, there will always be this uh, race tension and race problem. When you say force yourselves upon others, upon the white community, how exactly do you mean that? Well, any form of uh, integration, forced integration, any, 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 any effort to force integration upon whites is actually uh, hypocritical. It is a form of hypocrisy involved. If, uh, if a white man puts his arm around me voluntarily, that's brotherhood. But if, uh, you, if you hold a gun on him and make him embrace me, and pretend to be friendly or brotherly toward me, then that's not brotherhood, that's hypocrisy. And what America is trying to do is pass laws to force whites to pretend that they want Negroes into their schools or into the, in their places of uh, um, employment. Well, this is hypocrisy, and this makes uh, a worse a relationship between black and white rather than if, the, if this could be brought about on a voluntary basis. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that if the, what should happen is the black man himself should learn how to develop himself in the same sense that the white man has developed himself, then they can both come together and recognize each other as equals. Well, how can the black man develop himself as a separate society? Well, it's easy. He's, he's separate already. Uh, the fact that you have Harlem, the fact that you have the Negro ghetto and the, and the so-called Negro slum, he's already separate. The fact that he's a second-class citizen is a political separation. The fact that he's uh, the last hired and the first fired is an economic separation. Only in this form of uh, separation, the black man is exploited. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that we should be separate, all right. But in this separate state or separate uh, existence, uh, the black man should be given the opportunity and the incentive to do for himself what the white man has done for himself. If you have an all-white neighborhood, you don't call it a segregated neighborhood, but you call an all-black neighborhood a segregated neighborhood. And why? Because the segregated neighborhood is the one that's controlled by the out from the outside by others. But a separate neighborhood is a neighborhood that is independent, it's equal, it can do, it can stand on its own two feet, such as the white neighborhood. It's an independent, free neighborhood, free community. They're not trying to force themselves upon anyone, socially or otherwise. 
But the Negro neighborhood, which is inferior, is begging for a chance to uh, integrate itself into that which is, is uh, superior, which is not going to happen. It's going to cause trouble. Well, in other words, then you think the Negro has first to raise himself to a status of equality with the white community. Yes. Now, what happens, assuming that he can do that? Would you then be in favor of integration, let's say, in the schools or anyplace else? Uh, when you are equal uh, with uh, another person, the problem of integration doesn't even arise. It, do it doesn't come up. Uh, the Chinese in this country aren't asking for integration. The, the Japanese aren't asking for integration. The only minority in America that's asking for integration is the so-called Negro, primarily because he is inferior, not inherently inferior, but he's economically, socially, politically inferior. And this exists because he has never tried to stand on his own two feet and do something for himself. He has filled the role of a beggar. Well, how can a minority group in this country so-called stand on its own two feet? Well, I, I can give you this example by explaining the difference between segregation and separation. Segregation is that which is forced upon an inferior by a superior. Separation is done voluntarily by two equals. If I have children and they live in my house, I care for them, they're dependent upon me. And their dependence upon me puts me in a position to regulate their lives, control their lives, tell them where to go, where they can't go. That's a form of segregation. Uh, uh, when, but when those children become of age and they think they're equal with me, they leave my home. And when they leave my home and begin to set up a home for themselves, provide uh, clothing, food, and shelter for themselves, that makes them independent of me. It puts them out of my jurisdiction. And the fact that they can do for themselves that which I have done for myself makes me have to recognize that they are equals with me. And now the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that the black man in America for the past 400 years has been like a boy in the white man's house, begging the white man for a job, for food, clothing, and shelter. And then after the white man provides him with all of these things, he turns around and get, has the nerve to get angry at the white man when the white man tries to control his life. But how, from a practical point of view, can the Negro be self-sufficient? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad says, number one, he must have a knowledge of himself. And this gives him uh, uh, confidence in himself. He has been brainwashed by the educational system that exists here in America to the point where he feels he was a savage in the jungle when he was, uh, before he was brought here, and this destroys his morale. So the number one thing that has to be done, he has to be retaught, be given, he has to be re-educated and made to know that he's a man like anyone else, and then he can stand on his own two feet like others have done. I might add, the whites who came here only, uh, say, 50 years ago as immigrants have come into this country. They have set up businesses. They've developed these businesses into an industry. Some of, the, some of them came here as poor immigrants, uneducated, and yet today they're economically independent. Now, the black man here was so-called free by Lincoln 100 years ago. The black man in America has a, has a purchasing power of $20 billion. Now, and he's educated. If the white man can come here uneducated and as an immigrant, and within 10 or 15 years set up an industry that provides job opportunities and educational opportunities for black people, then if the black man, the black leadership, uh, who has access to all of this money and has all of these degrees today, can't use his talent and his know-how to set up uh, business opportunities, job opportunities, housing opportunities for the black people, the same as the white leaders have done for white people, then these black leaders need to get off the boat. They're not leading our people toward any kind of independence, but they're using their positions and their education and their talent to exploit our people worse than the slave master did during slavery. 
Are you advocating a state within a state for the Negro community? Not a state within a state. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is, is saying that the black man, since the white man, has found it impossible to bring about integration uh, other, than to on a take, other than on a token basis, and uh, which proves that the, the two of us, the ex-slave and the master, can't live in the same house as equals. And at the same time, then he's, what Mr. Muhammad says is, they should take their navy and their uh, uh, merchant fleet and ship us back where they got us. And that's not deportation, that's returning stolen property to its proper owner. Now, since the government doesn't want to do that, then they, and they have already proven that they can't bring about peaceful relations on an integrated basis in this country, give us some separate territory in this country where our people can go and do something for ourselves and provide us with everything that we need to keep that uh, uh, new territory going until we are self-sufficient. And... And this should not be too hard to understand that the government should do it because there's, if, they can, if this government can send $20 billion to Latin America to some peasants who have never fought for this country or worked for this country or have, or, and is sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Africa and Asia to try and buy friendship of people who will never be friendly toward them, then they should be even more quick to spend some whatever amount of money is necessary to get inside of their house straight before it's too late. So we don't think that we're begging for anything. We think we're demanding what is ours by right. And all we're asking for is an opportunity to do something for ourselves rather than to sit around as a beggar, begging for jobs and begging for education from, for someone else for the rest of our lives. Well, many sociologists say that the reason why the Negro in the United States is, quote, inferior, unquote, if you want to use that expression, is because of what the white man has done with segregation. And they therefore see the answer to the dilemma to be in doing away with segregation and everything that this implies. Now, apparently your philosophy is the complete antithesis of this particular idea. Well, I don't know whether you would call it the antithesis. We're primarily interested in solving the problem of 20 million black people. And if integration is going to solve the problem tomorrow, then let's integrate. But since the Supreme Court issued its desegregation decision, seven years ago and you only have about six or seven percent integration now on an on an educational level that means that the black man trying to use integration as a means of solving his problem will be another hundred years just getting integration on an educational level and they, what the white man in america needs to realize is there's a new thinking among black people today which makes them not willing to sit around and wait for five years to get this problem solved, much less a hundred years. And since integration is so slow, and the white man knows that the problem must be solved, the only thing that he can do tomorrow is, is separate, because we're already separated. Mm -hmm. Mr. Malcolm, what do you think of Martin Luther King? I think that any black man who teaches black people to turn the other cheek and suffer peacefully after they've been turning the cheek and suffering peacefully for 400 years in a, in a land of bondage under the most cruel, inhuman, and wicked slave master that any people have ever been under. He is doing those people an injustice, and he's a traitor to his own people. Nobody should teach the black man in America to turn the other cheek unless someone is teaching the white man in America to turn the other cheek. And no one should advocate any peaceful suffering to black people unless the, black, the white man is going to practice the same kind of peaceful suffering. What Martin Luther King is doing is disarming the black people of America of their God-given right and of their natural right. 
And the law of nature gives a man the right to defend himself when he's attacked. And God's law itself gives a man the right to defend himself when he's attacked. So uh, peaceful suffering and passive resistance and all of that uh, stuff is all right maybe in India somewhere where the people in India outnumbered the whites uh, uh, about a, a million to one. But here in America, when you tell, that's like an elephant sitting down on a, on a, on a mouse in, in India with Gandhi. But in America, you have the, the mouse now trying to sit down on the elephant thinking that he's going somewhere and it's, and it's absurd. Don't you think that perhaps the idea of nonviolent resistance is a tactic which disarms the white community as much, if not more, than it does the Negro? No, you don't disarm any white community with any, uh, uh, by confining yourself to any particular method. If you want freedom, then you should get freedom, like Patrick Henry said, by whatever method is necessary. If you are not willing to pay the price for freedom, you don't deserve freedom. Pr oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Go on. No, that's all right. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that actually the basis of distinction here is one, is a distinction of goals. Dr. King's goals are quite different from yours. He believes in integration, complete integration of society. If integration, no, well, that's where Dr. King is mixed up. Uh, his goal should be the solution of the problem of the black man in America. Now, not integration. Integration is the method toward obtaining that goal. And what the Negro leader has done is gotten himself wrapped up in the method and has forgotten what the goal is. The goal is the, is the, is the dignity of the black man in America. He wants respect as a human being. He wants recognition as a human being. Now, if integration will get him that, all right. If segregation will get him that, all right. If separation will get him that, all right. But after he gets integration and he still doesn't have this dignity and this uh, recognition as a human being, then his problem is still not solved. Well, isn't this exactly what Dr. King is looking towards? And that is the day when the Negro will be treated with dignity. Wasn't this, after all, the result of the Montgomery bus boycott? No, because uh, I don't think you can, uh, having an opportunity to ride either on the front or the back or in the middle of someone else's bus doesn't dignify you. When you have your own bus then you have dignity. When you have your own school, you have dignity. When you have your own country, you have dignity. When you have something of your own, you have dignity. But whenever you are begging for a chance to participate in that which belongs to someone else or use that which belongs to someone else on an equal basis with the owner, that's not dignity, that's ignorance. The, if I may add, uh, for instance, King and these others will say that they are fighting for the Negro to have equal job opportunities. How can people, a, a group of people such as our people, who own no factories, have equal job opportunities competing against a race that owns the factories? The only way the two can have equal job opportunities is if black people have factories as well as white people have factories. And then black, we can employ whites or we can employ blacks, just like they can employ whites or they can employ blacks. But as long as the factories are in the hands of the whites, the housing is in the hands of the whites, the school system is in the hands of the whites, you have a situation where the blacks are constantly begging the whites, can they use this or can they use that? That's not any kind of equal equality of opportunity, nor does it lend toward one's dignity. Well, would you not admit that the situation in the South today for the Negro is better than it was, let's say, 10 years ago? No, because 10 years ago, the black man knew what his condition was, and today, because of the world revolution that's taking place uh, all over this earth, the black man would be fighting for what he knows is his by right. 
But the uh, movement on the part of King and the others has done nothing but slow down the militancy that is inherent in the nature of the black man. All over this world, people are standing up for freedom. In this country, these Negro leaders have Negroes sitting, sitting down, thinking that, that there's dignity towards sitting in. I might add, ma'am, how in the world can you say or can anyone say that it will dignify the American Negro to beg in or wade in or plead in when the people in Hungary didn't beg in? They were freedom fighters and they fought for their freedom and they came to this country and they were Hungarians. They were communists from a communist country. And right now, those Hungarian freedom fighters can get jobs that student sit-ins can't get. They can go and sleep and live in hotels that Martin Luther King himself can't live in. So, and they are recognized and respected because they're fighters, not because they're sit-inners or freedom uh, writers. Well, would you advise the Negro in the South then to take up arms and uh, get control of the factories? No, no. Uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us the religion of Islam, which is a religion of peace. And he says that the way to solve this problem is for the white man to give us some territory of our own. And then our people, we have technical know-how, we have agricultural know-how. We have been working for the white man in his business. In every phase of his government, we were. And instead of working for him and helping him hold up a government that continues to suppress us uh, socially and, and exploit us economically and oppress us politically, let us go in into our own territory and use our own talents to uplift ourselves by our own bootstraps. And then he will recognize us for what we are. Yes, but suppose you don't get this territory, which seems quite likely. Then what are you going to do? How are you going to accomplish your goals? No, it's, that's not our problem. That's America's problem. If, if the average America, American knew the trouble that Uncle Sam is in all over this earth, uh, they could see that it, we're closer toward getting a separate territory in this country than the inter integrationists are toward getting integration. You have a race problem that must be solved or else you will alienate every non-white person on this earth within the next few years or within the next few months. Uncle Sam right now is forcing integration only because he's trying to uh, impress the people of abroad that he's morally qualified to be the leader of the world. And if he can't do this, then they will it will alienate them. And all of the hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars that he has sent abroad trying to buy the friendship of the dark world will go right down the drain. Uh, he's not sending $20 billion to South America because he loves those people down there. He's sending it, sending it to them because he needs their friendship. He needs their allegiance. Their allegiance. And uh, why should he send $20 billion down there, which is going to go down the drain every time you have a racial in incident in this country? Solve the race problem here. And once you solve the race problem here, you don't have to send these billions of dollars abroad. Mr. Malcolm, how many adherents does your movement have about? I've never heard the Honorable Elijah Muhammad say how many there are, but I think as an intelligent person, you would agree that when you are teaching among oppressed people that they should be relieved of their oppression, not a hundred years or ten years from now, but right now, you're going to find your talk is going to fall upon sympathetic ears. Then you feel that you have many more supporters than, let's say, figures that once were printed in the New York Times would indicate. The main part of the tree is the root, and the root is always beneath the ground. It never is brought out into the light. Would you say, then, that the average Negro, particularly in the South, who, we are told, follows and believes in Dr. King's philosophy, really does not believe in this philosophy, at least deep down in his heart, and would be just as willing to follow you? 
Well, all you have to do is go back to slavery days, and uh, there were two types of slave, the house slave and the field slave. The house slave was the one who believed in the master, who had confidence in the master, and usually was very friendly with the master. And usually he was also used by the master to try and keep the other slaves pacified. And the other slaves in the field never let that house slave knew, know what they were really thinking. If the house slave said, well, one of these days all of us will live in the plantation, they said, uh-huh. They went along with him. But if you came up to them and said, let's go, they would be gone just like that. And in, in America, you have the same situation now. You have the, the vast masses who are still slaves. Then you have the upper-class Negroes who are the modern-day Uncle Toms or the 20th century Uncle Tom. They don't wear a handkerchief anymore. They wear top hats. They're called doctor. They're called uh, uh, reverend. But they're still, they play the same role today that Uncle Tom played on the plantation. Are you likening Dr. King to the house slave of slavery days? You, if you read the uh, story of slavery and see the part that the Uncle Tom played in the plantation, and then you see how the white man today has changed his tactics, but he still occupies the same position. In that same uh, context, you find Uncle Tom. He has changed his tactics, but he still occupies the same position. His job is to pacify the slave, keep them uh, uh, willing to suffer peacefully, keep them willing to love their enemy, and to pray for those who use them despitefully. That's the same thing that Uncle Tom did on the plantation uh, before Lincoln issued the so-called Emancipation Proclamation. And you think that's, a, that's what King is doing today? Well, if uh, he fills that role, he fills that role. I don't know, uh, uh, I have no thinking on the matter, but he's teaching the black people to suffer peacefully, patiently, until the white man makes up his mind that you're a human being the same as he. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is teaching the black man you're a human being right now. Uh, all you have to do is dignify yourself. You don't have to wait for any white man to recognize you. Recognize yourself. Love each other. Practice harmony and brotherhood among your own kind. Do something for yourself, and then you'll be recognized by the entire world as a man who has done for himself what others have done for themselves. Do you think that Dr. King is sincere in what he's saying and doing, or do you think perhaps that he's being rather opportunistic in his own way, but... Uh his way just happens to be wrong. He's wrong, and uh, I'm inclined to believe that most Negro leaders, professional Negroes, are professional Negroes. Being a Negro is their profession, and being a, prof a leader is their profession. And usually they say exactly what the white man wants, uh, to, uh, wants to hear them say. They never let the white man know exactly what black people are thinking, period. And uh, most of them who, who, whose existence or whose position of leadership depends upon the, on the subsidy or crumbs, full of th uh, the crumbs from the white man's table will only say what that white man wants to hear. When they get behind the door, they talk a different language. And I think that they do the white man more harm and do America more harm than the Muslims do who let the white man know exactly what we think and what black people think in general. Is there any leadership in the Negro community outside that of the black Muslim movement which you would approve of? Whoever is standing up telling the white man that his position is unjust and that uh, the black people should not have to wait for any Supreme Court, Congress, or Senate to legislate, or even the president to issue any kind of a, of a, a proclamation to better the condition of our people. If a, if, he, if, a, if a Negro leader is standing up making that point clear, then he's all right with us. But as long as he's making the white man think that our people are satisfied to sit in his house and wait for him to correct these conditions, he's, he is misrepresenting the 
thinking of the black masses and he's doing the white man a disservice because he's making the white man be more complacent than he would be if he knew the dangerous situation that's building up right inside his own house. Uh, a cat that's inside of your house that is angry and dissatisfied and hostile is more dangerous to you than a full-grown lion is on the outside. Well, you know, getting back to, uh, to the philosophical point you made there about acceptance, this is one of the arguments that the white community down south gives to the Negroes who claim that they want certain rights, um, that it's fine to go to schools and to even sit at lunch counters together. But this question of social equality and social acceptance actually is something else again. The whites don't want it, and you don't want it. Now, where's the difference? Actually, you aren't, aren't you to, taking the position say, reverse? Don't say the whites down south. Whites up north. There's no difference between whites in the south and whites in the north. Only the whites in the south aren't hypocritical about it. You don't find any more uh, inter... There is just as much social intermixing in the south as uh, between the races as there is in the north. Only in the South, they let you know uh, uh, where they stand, and in the North, they take a hypocritical approach or attitude or reaction. And I think, again, that that does the whole problem a, a disservice. It's not a case of uh, our wanting to mix socially with whites. And when you, and the whites are right in the South when they say that getting a cup of coffee in a restaurant is not going to solve, is all right. But it's not all right for the black man. What does a black man look like begging for a cup of coffee in a white restaurant and doesn't have a job to back up his, to pay for it when, 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 when he does get the coffee? It's putting the cart before the horse. Instead of the Negro leaders having the black man begging for a chance to, uh, uh, to dine in white restaurants, the Negro leader should be showing the black man how to do something to strengthen his own economy, to, to, make a, to give himself an independent economy or to provide job opportunities for himself. Not begging for a cup of coffee in a white man's restaurant. Well, you take a situation like um, that which exists in Atlanta. Now, here it would seem to me would be an ideal uh, illustration of your point. In Atlanta, you have some of the wealthiest Negroes in the United States. They own insurance companies, banks, beautiful homes. They have their own restaurants, uh, nightclubs. They have some of the best schools that are all Negro schools. Yet, do you really think that this makes them any better off? Do you think that this gives them any more dignity? Do you that I mean, isn't this, isn't this the goal towards which you're reaching? Uh, no, yes, this is the goal, the goal in part. But not only do we want our own community, we want our own land, period. The same as the Jews were uh, uh, never satisfied until they had Israel. They wanted a country that they could point toward and a flag that they could point toward. This doesn't mean that they even went to Israel. But this, this uh, gave them prestige. It gave them dignity. It gave them something to back them up. And the black man in America's position is parallel with that of the Jews, especially when the Jews were in bondage under Pharaoh. And at no time did Moses in the Bible ever try and integrate the Hebrews into the Egyptian society or accept any uh, hypocritical offers made by the slave master of that day. Uh, they, they, Moses taught complete separation and a land of their own flowing with milk and honey. He didn't teach them anything about any heaven up in the sky, but the only thing that would solve their problem is a land of their own. And the black man in America is the same as the Jews were in bondage under Pharaoh. We are strangers in a land that is not ours. We are rejected by this type of modern pharaoh or pharaonic society. And uh, the only way that we're going to solve our problem is to do the same thing today that the Hebrews did under Pharaoh. Strike out for ourselves into, some land, into a land of our own where we can build a tabernacle to our own God like the Hebrews did back there. But as long as we sit around here trying to pray to the 
white man's God and go to the white man's church and into the white man's school, we'll be brainwashed by the white man's educational system and we'll continue to look down upon ourselves and we'll continue to, to, to be a beggar to him because we'll continue to think that he's superior to us. Do you think Muhammad is the natural God of the Negro, the American Negro? Not God. We don't look upon Muhammad as God. We look upon, just like uh, the Hebrews didn't look upon Moses as God, they looked upon Moses as their leader. But Moses was God's spokesman, and uh, we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad don't look upon him as God. We look upon him as God's spokesman. We look upon him as God's representative, as a messenger from God. And the message that he has for us is the same as the message that, the, that Moses had for the Hebrews, not integration. Because he told Pharaoh, let my people go, which means separate. And uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, whom we look upon as a modern Moses, has the same type of message for us today. We don't look upon Martin Luther King as any Moses, because Moses never not a modern Moses or, or an ancient Moses. Because King is advocating love your enemy. Moses didn't say love your enemy. King is advocating turn the other cheek. Moses didn't advocate turn the other cheek. Moses told those slaves how to defend themselves. And he taught the slaves how to defend themselves. And had Moses not taught the Hebrews how to defend themselves against their enemies, why those Hebrews would be getting lynched and they'd be second-class citizens and segregated and Jim Crow, the same as everybody else, same as the so-called Negro in America is right to this very day. Well, and the question there again then comes down to violence. Now, um, what would you do in a situation in the South, let's say, if there was a lynching? Would you... As a Negro, take a gun and go after the white person who... We would do the same thing that, the, that America did when, the, when, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. America defended itself. They said, praise the Lord, but they passed the ammunition. And this is a God-given right of any man. Anytime you have a, a man who is getting lynched, and what are his people supposed to do? Sit around and forgive the lyncher or wait on the United States government to go in and get the lyncher like the United States government did in the case of, of Charles Mack Parker and the FBI found who were the guilty lynchers? And right to this day, the FBI, the highest uh, law enforcement body in the land, has yet to bring the lynchers of Mack Parker to justice? No, if the government can't give the black man justice, then it's time for the black man to get some justice for himself with the help of his God. This doesn't mean that he's advocating violence. Can you tell, can you accuse me if a man is putting a rope around my neck of being violent when I uh, violently struggle against this lyncher to try and keep him from putting a rope around my innocent neck? Why, you'd be insane to cause me, call me violent, but this is what you're doing. This is what the white person in America is doing when the Muslim says that the black man should defend himself. No, it's the white man who is the one who is being violent. And the government is responsible for the violence as long as they don't stop it. And if we have to get violent to protect ourselves, then it's the government that should be charged with the crime because we're only upholding a law that they've been unable to uphold. And I take it you would approve of the tactics of Robert Williams, the southern NAACP leader, um, who I think he was from where, North or South Carolina? North Carolina, yeah. Uh, I don't know too much. I don't know too much about his tactics, but if he was trying to defend himself, he was within his God-given rights, and within, and he was also within his natural rights because the first law of nature is self-preservation. And and Martin Luther King has made the Negro in America unnatural. He has taken away from the Negro his God-given right to defend himself. He has these has has them going through. I, I looked on the television the other night and saw them beating a Negro unmercifully in Mississippi. And this, and this is the this is the result of a brainwashing technique that the uh, a certain power structure in the American government has paid these Negro uh, integrationist leaders to uh, perpetuate among our people. But uh, it's not a good thing, and it will never solve our problem. Thank you very much, Mr. Malcolm.
This show is brought to you by Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing, the home of distinctive quality t-shirts. Mint Mobile, where you get talk, data, and text for just $15 a month. Coinbase, the best place to buy and sell cryptocurrency. And First Trade, your first choice for free stock trading. For details about this show and these fine sponsors, go to krobcollection.com. I hope you are enjoying Audio Antiques, our Golden Age radio podcast. If you are, why not subscribe and tell your friends? For more information about our shows and sponsors, check out krobcollection.com. Our music is by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks so much for listening.